Today we discuss a number of quick-hitting topics, including the IRS hiking 401k and 403b limits, qualified charitable distribution rules, the SEC, and a modest proposal surrounding the 28th Amendment. You gotta leave your money behind you. Raise your hand to the sky. Thanks for joining us. We're going to go through a few topics relatively quickly here uh, because there's a lot in the news actually right now. And so uh, first and foremost, let's uh, discuss a little bit about the changes that are being made for next year and how much you can contribute to IRAs and 401k plans. So the IRS decided to hike the 401k contribution limits for 2020. So right now, the employee contribution threshold or the individual contribution threshold for accounts rises to 19,500. Uh, this year it was 19,000. So a little extra 500 bucks you can get there. And then uh, if you are over 50, um, we're going to end up having a situation where you can get another $500 in your 401k. So uh, the catch-up contributions will allow you to get an extra 6500 Now, IRAs are actually going to stay the same. So they're actually staying at 6000 and then the uh, catch-up will, again, be 1000 So that, that stays in place. But 401Ks, which includes uh, 450, or four, or, uh, 457 plans and 403B plans, will also be increased. And then you have overall limits in there as well that increase to uh, 57 thousand from 56,000 in 401ks and 403bs. And that just basically means that all your contributions, including after-tax contributions and employer match contributions, as well as employee contributions, uh, can be no more than that. So that's that's one material change that we've seen. So I'm going to spend a minute to let everybody know that that is the case. That was a tremendous amount of information all in a very short period of time. How far into this are we were? two minutes in and that was like a solid 18 data points that's right hey you're getting an extra you know 500 bucks next year that's basically what it boils down to yeah there you go yeah. i can give you all kinds of other limits but that's what you get right <laughs> it means that if you are max funding retirement plans through work or kind of have on autopilot your contributions through IRA accounts and things like that. Uh, you should double check on those because uh, the max has have gone up. And if you leave your contribution limits the same, you will not be maxing in 2020 if you uh, maxed in 2019. So that is a big change. We always like to see those going up. What was the uh, little, little uh, trivia uh, question for the kids out there? What was the Roth IRA limit when it was first introduced? I think it was 2000, wasn't it? Well, you're supposed to wait a little bit so that they could, like, in their cars and at home be like, ooh, I bet it's, and then guess. But, but yes, I believe it was 2000 as well. You, you didn't even look it up? You just no, but I'm assumed? pretty sure. And that's usually good enough. <laughs> that's good. I'll look it up that's right good. now. <laughs> From a compliance perspective, you know, that's great. That's great. So, um, well, we'll get into compliance in a minute because we actually had some exciting things happen in our industry, uh, industry announcement. But before that, right now we're kind of in what I would just call giving season. And that is that we are, uh, in a situation where people have charitable contributions that they may want to make. And we have been having multiple conversations, uh, with a variety of different clients about how to most efficiently gift that money. 
and then also, uh, you know, where to take the money from. So basically what has happened is our standard deductions have increased. And so charitable giving in some cases uh, isn't as easy to deduct uh, because those standard deductions have gone up. So we've used a few more creative ways. One of the creative ways you can do is if you're over age 70 and a half, you have to take a required minimum distribution out of your employer plans or your IRAs if you're not working, and in some cases, whether you are working or not. So basically, you have to take a certain amount out. And for us, uh, we calculate that. It's calculated off of the December 31st balance. We run the calculation and we figure out, okay, how much can you take out? Well, in this situation, if you have to take out, say, $10,000, you can actually donate that money directly to charity. And so that's really important to note because if you have to take money out and you don't really need it, in order to not pay tax on that money, you can donate that money to charity. So uh, there are a few nuances around this. Don't just have them distribute a check to you and then you write a check out. That's not how this works. It has to go right from the custodian. So in our case, many cases, it's either Interactive Brokers or TD Ameritrade for most of our clients. You have to send the money directly from TD Ameritrade over to the charity. And, and even a small nuance on that, uh, be careful because um, you, you may actually even be better off just transferring the shares themselves as opposed to selling and then um, uh, you know sending the cash over. So just be a little careful if you're going to pursue this idea that uh, you may want to talk it through with your advisor first. But if you are inclined to... Uh, Give charitably anyways, uh, just as, as part of your uh, um, how you handle your budget or your lifestyle, then um, and you're kind of reaching that required minimum distribution age, uh, you should definitely be having these conversations with a financial professional because this might uh, be kind of killing two birds with one stone for you. That's right. And then alluding to kind of the uh, transferring of shares, uh, basically, if you have a taxable account, and highly appreciated securities as well. That's another place where whether you're 70 and a half or not, even if you're 30 years old and you have highly appreciated securities, you may transfer those securities to a charity. And that is a situation where you also want to make sure that you're sending them directly from your custodian to the uh, charity. And then you can avoid that uh, capital gain situation. So for example, if you had Exxon stock, you paid $10 for the Exxon stock. It's now worth $100. You got a $90 capital gain. If you sell it, well, you can actually send it. $90 those shares. per share. Yeah, $90 per share, right? So if you had 100 shares, well, there you go. Um, and you can transfer those over to the charity and avoid the capital gain on that. And the charity also avoids the capital gain on that, too. You're not giving them the problem of the capital gain. Um, and so that's, that's a huge benefit at this time of year. So if you have highly appreciated securities, you should take a look at that. It's sometimes confusing because there's a lot of people that don't realize that the vast majority of these charities and nonprofit organizations have brokerage accounts set up. They can accept things like, uh, currently invested dollars and, and, uh, you know, shares of investments. So, uh, it's, it's really not that complicated to, uh, make this happen. It's more about just, uh, making sure that you give your advisor enough time to be able to make, to make it happen in the custodian enough time, because it does require some paperwork to be filled out, but it can be really powerful. If you, uh, already have that idea that you want to give money, uh, this might be better than just giving money because it might also help you, um, from a tax standpoint. So I will take one step back. We were correct 
$2,000, but we'll ask another trivia question because we're just in the mood to do that. Well, at least I am. Uh, what year did the Roth Ooh. IRA Ooh. come out? Or what, what uh, it's, uh, that's not the right way to say it. In what year was the legislation passed which created the Roth IRA? And bonus question, who? Was R- William Roth. That's right. William Roth, right? Did I give you enough time there? I was all over that. Um, if, you're, if you're measuring the time in like <laughs> nanoseconds, then sure, you give a thousand nanoseconds to answer that. <laughs> However, normal time, no, it was like a half a second that you allowed. All right. Uh, maybe that's just because you're having a chai latte. It just seems faster. Um, <laughs> in my head, that took like four seconds. I don't know okay. what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm not talking fast. You're talking fast. <laughs> I'm guessing... 1992. Oh, no, 1998. Oh. Uh, and it was originally called the IRA Plus. That's Interesting. A- yes, originally called. No, again, all of this is coming from Wikipedia, so there's a 65% chance that it's not true. Uh, originally called an IRA Plus, the idea was proposed by Senators Bob Packwood. Wow, that's too bad. Bob Packwood got no credit for this of Oregon, and Senator William Roth of Delaware in 1989. The Packwood-Roth plan... Wow, so it's actually called... So what, what happened to, to the Packwood? He just got totally... Poor guy. He just got he just bumped. like his name. <laughs> they, 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 he tried to call it the Pac-RA, and they're like, nope, not going to happen. We're taking Roth. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. If you got to be that guy, you got to be really bitter right now, don't you? He was totally in favor of IRA Plus. Because <laughs> like he probably guy. figured, like, this is going to be some, like, buried thing in the tax code. Nobody's going to use it. What's the big deal? And now it's probably one of the most well-known, like, you know, financially titled accounts that you could come up with. And he got no credit. Total. All right. So for right here, right now. Nice job, Bob Packwood. Here's your yeah, shout out. There you go. There's Here's a your shout out. out. There's a shout out. From Give Me Some Truth podcast, we appreciate your contribution to the financial world. Yeah. That and Jerry 401k. What? What's his name? Because <laughs> somebody else had the same thing happen to them? That's right. No, his name. The his same name, tragedy? His last name's 401k. It's just great. <laughs> it's all spelled out, though, in letters. <laughs> But it's spelled like F O R or O apostrophe. Oh, one K. It's Irish. <laughs> Is it Scottish? <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. There uh, you go. I feel as though we've stumbled slightly off track. Slightly. Uh, and so we'll go into our next item that we want to discuss. And this is talking about our friends over at the. Securities and Exchange Commission. Also known as the SEC. SEC. So they've actually proposed a, a modernization rule, which I think is really important for our industry, and that is that they're starting to modernize the advertising and cash solicitation rules for investment advisors. I'm reading right off their release, actually. Uh, and so what's happened is it's been a long time in coming that um, we have not had any changes to these advertising rules. And what's happened over time is that there's been interpretations to the rules, but we have not had a situation where we've had um, meaningful reform in kind of the social media era. So there have been kind of interpretations of things saying you can do this, you cannot do this. And one of the big things is if somebody gives us a like 
on Facebook or makes a comment or something like that, we run it into problematic situations sometimes, or like say they write a, a positive review for us and we respond, hey, thanks for the review. Uh, there are some problematic things as far as whether or not that's a testimonial. And so, you know, I think we're, we feel like we constantly have to play in an area where we don't know whether we're in the gray or not. And we haven't been given these sorts of rules saying, hey, it's okay to have likes on Facebook or it's okay to say thanks for the review. Like initially when, when I saw reviews, all I wanted to do was say, hey, thanks so much for taking the time to write a review when people have written a couple of reviews for us. And then all of a sudden I, I found out right away, like you can't actually respond to the review and say, thanks for the review. We really appreciate it because it's kind of running afoul potentially of testimonial rules. So it's kind of validating the, the, um, the post or the, the comments or whatever it is. And that's what the SEC does not want. So exactly. even, even saying thank you for it, you're kind of validating it. And so hopefully this, um, guidance that we're getting is a little bit more clear and there's some clarity just overall on how to handle these situations because it is tricky for uh, our firm and other firms uh, on how to handle it. Yeah, exactly. And they're kind of updating what an advertisement is. Um, so they're basically saying that communications that, uh, that offers or promotes investment advisory services. And then it'll say basically, Hey, you can't make untrue statements. Okay. That's reasonable. Um, you know, you got to substantiate in anything that you, you say, uh, there's a lot of things about performance results in here, but I think one of the biggest things in here that would be a material change for us would be that it would permit testimonials and endorsements subject to specified disclosures, including whether the person giving the testimonial or endorsement is a client and whether compensation has been provided by or on behalf of the advisor. So, I read that and, and I I initially thought, oh, what could possibly go wrong with that? <laughs> uh, so looking from a skeptical standpoint, going, oh, well, testimonials that that does you know lead me to believe, hey, I'm a client and I just love Walkner County Financial Advisors and and you're compensating that person that might be a little problematic, particularly if we used you know a local celebrity that we paid to do sort of a testimonial. I think there's some problems there. But that being said, around those other nuanced things that we were talking about earlier, I think it actually is a really good thing to, to allow kind of loosening up of testimonial rules and saying, hey, you know, I, I do think we should be able to solicit people for writing a review. Um, you know, if as long as we don't have the ability to take down uh, certain reviews and to say, okay, well, you know, you sent me a one-star review, so I'm going to just remove that from the site and expunge it. So, um, you know, I, I think we should be able to ask for that. I think it's a real positive thing that the SEC is starting to, to get into. And then it gives a bunch of performance stuff, too. You're probably going to see more performance uh, advertising as well. Um, and I don't know whether that's good or bad. I, we don't generally do that. We don't do that at all. So I don't, I don't really know uh, whether or not that's a good thing or not. But, uh, you know, it's good to see some meaningful reform here. This is a little side note, a little uh, rant, tangent, if you will. We'll get in my soapbox here for a minute. Um, along the same lines, just please be aware that if you see people that do what we do and they have a television show or a radio show or are on, are featured in that way, that, that doesn't give credence to their abilities as an advisor. It doesn't signal, signify them as an expert. That doesn't mean that they are justified to even have that position. What it means is that they've paid an advertising uh, fee 
to have that spot on the radio or on the television show or wherever they're featured. In so, many cases, yes. In many cases. I shouldn't say that definitively, but in many cases, that's the way it is. So just be careful when giving a little bit too much, um, how do you want to say, uh, kind of justification for uh, their knowledge or giving a little bit too much uh, credence to what they're saying. They're, that it speaks nothing to whether or not they're actually qualified to 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 be saying what they're saying. It simply means that in a lot of cases they've they've paid what the advertiser, or excuse me, what the uh, the cost was to have that advertisement, and then they're just saying what they want to say. I think that's a good point. I mean, we've seen some of these people that have we've kind of picked up to pieces, <laughs> right? For a couple of clients that, where we've seen this happen. So, yeah, you just got to be careful. Just be careful where you put your your trust. I guess is the is the easiest way to say it. And 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 kick the tires and ask some questions to make sure that the source of that information is is credible. That's exactly right. And then uh, I think the last uh, quick hitting item is very important because it's uh, it's been a situation where it impacts us all here. I think a lot in Wisconsin too because we're entering the the depths of winter. There's a recent study done uh, by Vanderbilt University Medical Center, and uh, they have determined that the biannual adjustments, also known as daylight savings time, actually is very negative for our internal body clocks. And a neurology professor says that it's not worth the harm to our bodies. It's a misalignment of our biological clocks for eight months out of the year. It's stupid. It, the, the entire thing is stupid. I understand why they've done it, and they did it for uh, reasons which are now antiquated. And like a lot of things that were done, uh, a lot of things that were put in place uh, because they made sense at the time uh, don't make sense anymore. And therefore, we've adjusted those, and, and, and we've changed our society to say, okay, this made sense. 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, it doesn't make sense today. So why are we doing this? And it's it's stupid. It's confusing. It's do you know that there's a uh uh there's places in the country that I don't think they don't do daylight savings time. That's right. They're called smart places. <laughs> like a smartphone. Have you ever noticed that people don't call them smartphones anymore either? I have noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. Now they're just mobile devices. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. They're not even called like phones anymore. Anyways, but well, yes, that's, I, I agree with your uh, with the, uh, the good doctor at uh, at uh, Nashville's finest Vanderbilt University. That uh, it's kind of stupid. Well, it's they stop. said that researchers admit it will be difficult to gain political support for an end of daylight savings time, citing state legislation that is quote all over the map. <laughs> See, this is what it makes no sense. They're going to have a hard time getting political traction. Why? This is a common sense thing. This is one of those. What, what Senator or House of Representatives member is going to stand up and say, I vehemently am against this. Why would you be vehemently? For what reason? It's, it's, it's the really aggressive daylight savings time <laughs> lobby. The sunlight doesn't vote. They don't pay for a lobby. It doesn't make any sense. It's Mr. Sun. <laughs> yeah, it's so powerful. Exactly. Exactly. I think that, yeah, this is where the federal government should step in. You know, in most cases, I'm all about, hey, send, send it all to the states. But in this case, federal government should step in and say, no, no daylight savings time. Well, their justification should be really, really succinct. 
this is dumb. We're not doing this anymore. Therefore, we're done. I'm willing to propose our first constitutional amendment since when? <laughs> well, well, we were making Disney movies in the last podcast. <laughs> it was. Uh, I'm going to call it Clint's modest proposal. <laughs> Specifically, we were we were making um, princess princess Disney movies that uh, involved a great deal of financial matter. You're welcome. Exactly. To the, to the young budding cinematographer out there who's taken our idea and run with it, you're welcome. It's all yours. And in the case of Bob Pack, Packwood? I've already Bob forgotten Packwood. his name. <laughs> oh, we'll be the Bob oh. Packwood when the cinematographer makes a billion dollars off of <laughs> Frozen 3, the princess's finances. <laughs> Frozen 3, the estate plan. <laughs> Oh, when you're dealing with the de- the death tax, what? <laughs> <laughs> what is it? What is it? Anna? Her name's Anna. It's it's Elsa. Elsa. Anna. Anna. Yeah. Oh, we can have a lot of fun and be here for another three hours, just you know, pitching lines back and forth. But I don't want to steal this guy's thunder or woman's thunder that's running with this idea. So we'll just see what they come up with. That's right. And to the legislator that that hears this and this exactly. becomes their new idea. And you get credit for the constitutional amendment. Maybe they'll name the amendment after you. But just think of us a little Call bit. Call it the gimme some truth, no daylight savings time law, act, bill, whatever they would call it. I don't care what they call it. I was going to look up trivia on my phone, and then I, I ran out of, out of will to do it. I was going to look up when the last amendment was. Hmm. What's your guess? Uh, when was it or what number was it? I'll go, we'll go with both. Bonus question. You got to pause for a few seconds. Uh, we're up to like 27, I think. I think the last one, I'm going to say the last one was 27, although I think it was 26. Ah. Uh, I'm going to say 27. You are correct. Yes. Now, See, okay, after reading what, what the last it? constitutional amendment was, <laughs> I'm saying that ours has a chance. Let's just say that. You're saying they got, they got a little thin in the, in the mid-20s as far as... Uh, 27th Amendment. Substance. I'm giving you the year, 1992. Oh, man. Uh, I don't even know. 27th Amendment? I, I, I couldn't even guess. I don't know. The last one that was passed. Uh, immigration? Something was in 1992 when the 27th Amendment required that any change in congressional salaries take effect only after the beginning of a new term. That's like his most, that's the most anticlimactic thing I've ever <laughs> heard in my entire life. Why didn't they just say the 27th Amendment is that Monday is now known as Monday? <laughs> <laughs> that's so stupid. Yes. On that note, we are pushing our idea forward. That's right. 28th Amendment, you heard it here first. End of daylight savings time. You're against us kicking daylight savings to the curb. Sorry, but we're going to have to agree to disagree because we're moving forward on this. Somebody call a legislator or whoever makes these decisions. There we go. And there you have it. The end of another episode of Give Me Some Truth. Thanks for joining us and go 28th Amendment.
Advisory services are offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, Mitch DeWitt, and Keith Ponywaz are investment advisor representatives of Walkner Condon. Guests on the podcast are not registered, and their participation in the podcast are limited to unregistered activities and will not provide any advice that is investment-related, nor should any comments that guests make be construed as giving investment advice. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizon. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Walkner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see walknercondon.com for additional disclosures.